I'm excited for this message today for us. Um, title of today's sermon uh, is, we're in Acts 27, and it's the grace of God in a shipwreck. The grace of God in a shipwreck. I don't know if you've ever felt before, whether you've been metaphorically shipwrecked. I'm imagining most people have not been literally shipwrecked. If so, please tell me the story. That must be a really fascinating story. Um, but a, a lot of us you know, probably have experienced at some point you know, something that felt perhaps like a shipwreck to us, you know, something that in some ways really maybe challenged us or really pushed us over the edge, maybe a crisis that happened in our life, maybe something that interrupted you know, the direction that we thought we were going in and you know, just kind of like crippled us in some ways. I experienced something like that for me um, back in 2015. That's um, when I first started to struggle with what later I've come to know as an anxiety disorder. Um, I still remember the day in which it happened. It was February 4th. I remember the day very clearly. It was 2015, February 4th. I was working as a research coordinator in the hospital. And all of a sudden, around 3 p.m., I felt like I was going to faint. Um, and so I started stumbling around the office. Like, my heart rate was rocketing. Uh, I had no idea what was going on. I never experienced any physical symptoms of anxiety before. I did not think I was an anxious person before that. Um, you know, in the moment, I, I thought I was having some kind of heart attack. Um, so I, I stumbled my way over to the ER. You know, Hopkins is connected, so I just walked down the corridor down, you know, in the ER. And a month later, after, you know, wearing a, this, like, Holter monitor on me and, you know, getting an echocardiogram, the doctor's like, no, I, I think you're fine. I think it was just stress, you know. But what began was, was one of the most unpleasant years of my life, um, you know, because anxiety didn't just go away. Um, it just, it was like, it's here to stay, and it was here for a year. Um, and, and I felt completely crippled as a person, um, metaphorically shipwrecked, right? Um, and it's so weird because it happened during a time when I had felt so much drive in my life, so much passion in my life. I I just finished college, um, and I was... I was staying as a volunteer staff, and I, you know, I was serving, and I was passionate, and I was on fire for God. And I just felt like God was doing so much in my life. Um, it was a year in which I was really walking with God, and then this happened. Um, and I couldn't help but think, you know, as a lot of us think when things like this happen, why, God? Like, why would you, like, hamstring me when I'm trying to follow you? You know, all of a sudden, my capacity just decreased. I, I couldn't meet up with people as much. I had to um, hand over a lot of my duties. Um, you know, before, I was always prided myself on being somebody who could do a lot, you know, maintain a lot of friendships, do a lot of extracurriculars, you know, take on more classes than the next person, you know, in college. And, you know, I suddenly became this person that struggled to even eat and sleep. And that was really, really hard for me, and it's, it's also something that is an ongoing journey for me today. But that was a season in which I felt like I was in a ship, being tossed to and fro by waves, just hanging on and just asking God, why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that. Maybe it's not so dramatic um, as we wait for the ambulances to pass by. Um, but I don't know, but I think all of us at some point in our lives will perhaps experience something that will truly help us, really cause us to feel like we are not in control, 
right? It really causes us to feel like we are in the hands of God and the Almighty, and we just have to surrender. And that's what we want to talk about today. It's an experience that Paul had um, on the way to Rome, a shipwreck. And what I want to frame this, how I want to frame this for us today as we think about this very dramatic and very exciting story, is to think about this question first. Why does God allow things that oftentimes seem contrary to what we would expect? Why does God oftentimes seem to frustrate our plans and, and throw us into a storm, right, so to speak? Why does God allow this to people? That's something I want to kind of touch on today. You know, we're not going to have, like, a, an ext- you know, we're not going to be able to answer every situation possibly, but I want you to be able to see and have a greater perspective, perhaps, of what is God doing and what God's heart is like and how there is grace from God even in shipwreck. So that's what we're doing today. Um, we're going to be in Acts 27. It's a long passage. I'm going to do a lot of reading, okay? So um, if you'd like to follow along with your Bibles, this actually might be a good one to do so because I'm going to be, you know, maneuvering my way around. And, and, but I want you to see and to hear the full story. So I do recommend, it's going to be up here too, but if, you, you know, if you're that kind of person that likes to engage by reading, um, feel free to go ahead and do so as well. So we're in Acts 27, just a little bit of a recap of what's going on, because we did skip like seven chapters or something. Um, is a last, kind of, uh, last sermon in Acts, I think it was Larry's, and he was talking about following God's will and sort of working through, okay, you know, you know the Spirit is saying something, and you know, how do I understand, how do I contextualize that for my life? And, and the specific kind of applica- uh, context from where that was, was Paul was going to Jerusalem, right? And people were telling him, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be imprisoned. Um, and Paul was like, so be it. That is what God is calling me to do. I'm doing that. Well, lo and behold, he goes to Jerusalem, and just like the prophecies and all, you know, it's clear he gets arrested, right? And he, and he remains in prison for a, a certain duration of time. We're not sure how long, you know, maybe months or years, but, you know, it, it's this period of time where they're, they're, he's just passed on from authority to authority because people have no idea what to do with him. You know, on one hand, like, he didn't murder somebody. You know, he didn't, like, cause an insurrection or anything. Like, there's nothing legally wrong with what he's doing. On the other hand, there is a very influential party in Jerusalem that wants him dead. And so the authorities are just confused about what to do, and he gets passed on from, you know, progressively higher authorities until he reaches the Supreme Court, so to speak. Right? When they're like, you know what, okay, we're just going to strip, hand this case over to the highest authority we have, which is Caesar, right? the emperor of Rome. So Paul's case gets brought to such a high level at that point that it's, you know, it's, it's just going to Rome now. Um, Paul actually appeals for this to happen. And so you know, Paul is now sent on this journey to Rome so that you know, he can be tried in this Roman court, right? Um, and that's, what, that's the context of what's happening here. So they send a detachment of soldiers, a centurion that's guarding him. It's a very intense process, right? And they, and they put him on a boat. And along the way, right, something completely unexpected happens, a shipwreck. Let's read. In Acts 27, verse 1, it says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners, the centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. 
and embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the courts of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. It's interesting, the, the language here of we, um, it implies that this is actually a first-hand witness of what's going on, that whoever was writing this, possibly Luke, um, was on the ship with this man, with Paul, and going through these things, and that's you know, why this story is actually so detailed. We're going to skip a little bit because uh, he goes through some very detailed nautical information about what's happening. Um, I want to kind of show this map for some of you guys who are geographically inclined and like knowing what's going on. Um, so what ends up happening in the next few verses is that, you know, they set off from Israel in the bottom, Judea, Judea, and then they make their way all the way over to the island in the middle called Crete. And what happens, actually, what's interesting, the passage notes, is that the wind is against them the whole time. So right off the bat, the journey feels kind of cursed, okay, in some ways. The wind is against them. They're trying all these kinds of, you know, tricks and ways to sort of make their way along. But the wind is against them, and by the time they reach this midway point of Crete, right, at this place called Fair Havens, it's already really late. It's already becoming cold. And as we know in Baltimore, that when things get cold, conditions get bad for travel, right? And things get dangerous, and that's exactly the predicament that they find themselves in. Oops. So then, you know, picking up in verse 9, it says, Since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast, that is the day of atonement fast, was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul already kind of knows what's up. <laughs> but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that they somehow could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they go for it. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kada, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, that is the lifeboat that usually is trailing behind the ship. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor star appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Yikes. It's kind of one of those scenarios where you kind of look at, and it just goes from bad, and it just goes to worse and worse and worse. In the beginning, they're like, okay, we're just going through some delays. All good, all good. Then it's like, okay, well, now we have to throw the grain overboard. That was like the whole purpose of this ship. We have economic, heavy economic loss now. And now it's progressing to the point where it's like, you know what? We're just trying to stay alive. You know, if we could just live, that would be kind of nice, right? And that's kind of maybe sometimes how those crises feel when God throws them at it. It's just like your expectations just keep lowering and lowering. You know what? You know what? I'm just trying to survive. 
like. That's all I'm trying to do. That's trying to, all I'm asking for. Well, I think I see from this an interesting point, a very obvious point, a point that we don't necessarily like all the time. But the reality is that God carries out his plans, not yours. Right? I think anyone who's lived in this world for more than a year probably understands this, right? That, like, things do not always go your way. But it's interesting how we, as human beings, struggle so much with this concept that God doesn't always do things the way that we want him to. Um, it's, it's, it's like a really hard thing for understand. And, 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 you know, and I think that's something that I have to start off with when we think about when we are in these places of crisis, when we're asking, why, God, are you allowing things to happen? We have to orient ourselves first and realize that God oftentimes, in Scripture, in life, it's clear his plans are not yours. He often has different desires and different goals to which he's trying to accomplish that maybe do not align with yours. And so it's not that, you know, on the, on just, just off the bat, we cannot say it's off the bat that God is not good when he doesn't do every whim and every desire that we perhaps have. Think about for the people on the ship, right? They probably want what all human beings want and what we always want, especially when we travel, right? A smooth travel. <laughs> no incidences. Just get me there in one piece, hopefully with less turbulence as possible and, and all that, right? And that's how most of us go through life, right? If you think about kind of what we mostly pray for when we ask for prayer requests, you know, I have an interview tomorrow. Pray that it goes smoothly. You know, I'm traveling this weekend. Pray that it goes smoothly. You know, I have this X, Y, Z thing to do. Pray that it would go well. And those are not wrong prayer requests by any means. But oftentimes when, we are, when our minds are kind of focused on that, we start to think that that is just what's good. You know, that that's, you know, and then when we pray that, you know, God should answer because those are good things. We start to forget that oftentimes that God has other things that are going on. Things that sometimes necessitate even inconveniences and difficulties and trials even in our lives. And that's something we're actually going to dig into more today. That's something I want to challenge you guys with first with that idea that we are not at the center of the universe. The goddess. He carries out and he executes his wills, not ours. I was talking to um, the nanny for our baby the other day, and we were, we were having this really interesting discussion um, about parenting. And, you know, now that I am a parent, I do see all the parallels now between God the Father and me and, you know, me and my child. And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I, I see where it's all coming from, you know. Um, but, you know, I was, talking to, I was talking to the nanny about it, um, and, we're, and we're talking about this temptation as parents that you have, right? Because you love your kids so much, to put them at the center of the family, the center of the world, right? You, you, you try to sort of, you're like, man, my kids now run the show, my kids run my world because I love them so much, right? That, you know, I try to make everything, orient everything around them. And we talked about how that can be a potentially very unhealthy thing, actually, when kids grow up with this kind of mentality that, like, pretty much I run the show and, you know, daddy, mommy, like, they, they, they exist to do my bidding, right, in some ways. That is not, in some ways, the way that we, are ought, we ought to parent, and that's not even the way the scripture calls us to parent, right? But we were kind of talking about this, this struggle to realize, no, like, we as parents, like, we actually have to think about making the right decisions, you know, according to the values and the wisdom we know, according to sometimes even our own values and our own needs, right? 
And we have to teach our kids to sort of realize, like, hey, we love you, but it's not going to always go the way that you want, right? I'm experiencing this myself, even with Emma right now, with her very little brain, you know, which does not understand much. You know, I'm, whenever we drive with her, um, and she has a tendency to get really mad in cars, right? You know, she looks at us, you know, when we're driving, like, I'm screaming my face off. Why aren't you doing something about it, you know? And we're just in the backseat. This is happening all the time in San Diego because we were in the backseat. And I was just looking at us with these eyes of like, how could you do this to me? You know, we're like, oh, poor girl. Like, it's, it's not that we don't love you, you know, but you don't understand. We need to get from point A to point B, and there are other things going on today than simply, you know, your comfort and your will and your desire right now, which is to not be in a car, right? I think sometimes it's the same for us. Like, we forget that. You know, we start to think as, you know, as we get adults and we're like, you know, I, I know what's good. You know, I know what makes sense. And when God does things that don't make sense a lot of times, we're just like, you know, we question why, right? And we forget that, like, God has other things going on. And I want to say that, you know, just to, not to undermine legitimate grief and suffering, right? That when we ask a lot of times, God, why are you doing this to me? You know, there is a legitimate portion of grieving, that, that, that is real, and that is necessary, and that's hidden behind that question, right? It's like, God, this sucks, and why are you putting me through this? That's a very legitimate thing that we need to give space for. But at the same time, I think we oftentimes forget, right? And when we go from there into unbelief, into a kind of questioning that now is just like, you know, God, you don't make sense. God, you're not good. God, you're actually not faithful. Um, and, we, and we start to lose sight a lot of times when there is that pride and anger towards God, you know, that he perhaps has other things going on. So what are some of those things? Let's carry on in the story as we see. Since they had been without food for a long time, right? So this is, you know, they're in this shipwreck, they're in this mess. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So here's, the, here's another really hard point for us, right? that God's plans, even in sufferings and trials, are truly for good. God's plans, even in suffering and trials, are truly for good. I think here's a temptation when you and I are experiencing something that is a trial, that is difficult, that is even suffering for us. We turn to think, okay, God's will is not mine, right? God's will is against mine. God must hate me or something because he is putting me through this. Um, I must have done something wrong right? I must have done something wrong in some ways, and now I'm being punished or something, right? Or God just doesn't care, right? And, he, and I don't know why he's doing this, but I, I just, he just doesn't care, right? And I think that's a temptation for us, right? Because of just the acuteness of how rough and how hard the things that we we're going through. That's certainly what I was thinking back in 2015, right? And it's hard for us to really be able to wrap our heads around this idea that God's plans, even in suffering and trials, are truly for good. But stay with me for a moment as, you, as you're like, okay, God is good all the time, I know. 
Stay with me in this because this is a critical point in the story and this is critical for us to actually work through. Because without this, you and I will be like a ship without an anchor in the waves, okay? Without this, like, we will not be able to face a lot of things without this understanding of how God can be good even in suffering and trials. I want to take us through this story because there's something really interesting about what happens here, okay? We oftentimes think, right, that when we are suffering, that God is punishing us or that God is doing something and, and he's, you know, he's distant or something, right? We feel that there's a sign of God's pleasure in what we're going through um, because there's a natural sense that when we're suffering, we just feel cursed. We just feel like, man, you know, I'm not loved, I'm not cared for, I'm being punished or something. But it's really interesting about this story. What I really love about the story when I was studying this is that this kind of situation, when you look at people getting on a boat, getting into a storm, getting shipwrecked, is actually a common kind of archetype of a story in the ancient times. Ancient times did not have modern technology, right? So they don't have boats where you know, they're fairly assured of the voyage. Sea is a very scary place for them, right? Very unpredictable, chaotic place. In ancient times, it was oftentimes, you know, the really the place of chaos and the place of surrender to God. And so this idea of a storm that would come upon the sea was oftentimes in ancient times this understanding of judgments, right? So if you're out on a boat, it's like you're kind of like being, you know, it's like you're in the hands of God, okay? And if a storm comes, that means you did something wrong, okay? God is judging you, right? That's kind of a common archetype of how people would understand, you know, what was going on. We see this in the Old Testament in Jonah, right? The classic story when Jonah runs away from the presence of God and he's in the waters, right? And then God sends a storm because Jonah, you know, there is an offending party on the boat, right? And something needs to be dealt with, right? So that's a very common sort of archetype. But I find really encouraging and really uplifting, really different about this story in the New Testament is that the exact reverse is happening in this situation. It's not that Paul is actually not loved by God or cursed or he's done something wrong, the storm is happening to him. It's rather the exact opposite. It's precisely because God loves Paul. And it, that much is clear throughout Acts. And God, Paul is this chosen instrument of God, um, that God is working through him and doing something through him that he sends the storm on Paul. So why, why is the storm happening to these poor people on this boat? It is because of Paul, but not because Paul is not loved, but because Paul is loved. I want to show you that, right, when we look in, in this passage, right, Paul is given this vision, right, so he's not just left alone, that gives a clue as to why this is happening, right? And this vision, this angel comes and it says, Paul, don't be afraid. First of all, you're going to make it. And second of all, everybody on the boat is going to make it too as well. So what was the point of the vision? What's the point of getting this, you know, shipwrecked and all that stuff? Well, I think it was pretty clear for me as I, as I think about this passage that God's purpose in the shipwreck, in the storm, was to raise and to exalt Paul up as a witness um, so that the surrounding people in the boat, even on the boat, would come to believe in, in the gospel that he was proclaiming. Paul makes it very clear that he sees every circumstance in his life like this. Philippians, he says, I want you to know, brothers, and he's talking about his whole imprisonment, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is literally how Paul sees it all the time. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment 
is for Christ. Guess who he's on the boat with? The imperial guard, right? The centurion and the detachment of soldiers who are sitting there and, and the rest of the, you know, the sailors who are probably fainting with fear, right, as being tossed around. I, I've never been a shipwreck. Imagine it's horrible, right? You know, just like everyone's just calling out to whatever God they know. They're freaking out, right? Everyone's having, you know, everyone's just having a complete meltdown. And imagine Paul just in the corner of the ship there just chilling. You know, Paul with this serene peace and grace around him because God has given him this assurance, right? And, and can you imagine Paul with this power and this authority being like, it's going to be okay, guys. It's going to be okay, guys. God told me, you know. I mean, I don't know. I feel like if I were on this ship, I would believe whatever Paul is saying. <laughs> you know, Paul is sharing the gospel, in the, which you can be sure that he was. You know, he's definitely sharing the gospel on the ship. You could be sure that I would listen. And I'd be like, wow, you got something that I don't. You got an authority and you got a blessing from God in some ways that I don't. And I'm going to listen to you. So I want you to think about that fact, Right? this inconvenience, this horrible thing that happens, when you think about, on the other hand, how many people on the boat came to believe in the gospel and were saved for eternity as a result of shipwreck, right? I'm not saying shipwrecks are fun. People were saved for eternity. A boatload of people, as we can find out, 276 people, okay, got to witness something that would transform their lives that was far beyond just a few days of extreme un inconvenience and uncomfortable that would transform their lives because they were saved to know God, to be with God for eternity. I want to think about that fact of how many people came to believe. I want to apply that now to, to our lives when we think about the fact that when God's will is not good, right, we are oftentimes thinking about, God, you're not doing the things that make my life convenient and nice. And God is saying, child, I love you, and I want your life to be nice in general, right? But there is so much more at stake than just your comfort. There's so much more at stake than just things going the way exactly how you want. So much more at stake for you and for the people around you. Because God loves you, and he has other priorities, and he's thinking about things like the salvation of people for eternity, God is like, it's necessary sometimes. It's necessary sometimes for people to go through objectively bad and not helpful and not good things because he's doing something different, right? I think that's a hard truth for us as well, but we need to think about that when we reorient our priorities, when we start to think and see the way that God does, perhaps even like with me and Emma as a parent does, we start to understand that it's not that God doesn't love us, but because he loves us, Right? But because he loves us, and he loves the world, that he chooses to bring us into the things that most of us would never want to walk into. I know this is a difficult truth, right? And I'm not up here saying that in a sort of like, oh, whatever, sort of, this is the theology, and you know, I know suffering sucks, right? And, and for me, if someone said that to me in 2015, like, it's probably what I needed to hear, but it would have been hard to hear for myself. But I want you to think about that as you are going through things, or as your beloved friends are going through things, or even as we observe in our nation, right, the tragedy, right, of shooting after shooting, 
I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it, right? Every single time it happens, the natural question that comes up is, is God truly good? What is going on? Like, how do I even react to this? You know, do I just I grieve every single time? You know, like, how do I not become numb to this? You know, and, and, and the shooting is intense. Like, I, it's like I, I have no idea how to even process what through that if I, were, if I were to have to go through that. But I want you to not let those things shake your understanding of how God works in his will, that he truly is good. Now, I cannot tell you how, in a shooting, how God is good, right? And it would be prideful for me to actually try to do that, to tell you exactly whatever it is. But I want to tell you this, right, that in a, when something like that happens, we can see things several ways. We can see things like the sailors did, that God is perhaps some angry deity out to punish people, or perhaps God is just non-existent and some distant person who doesn't care. Or we can, true to believe, we can choose to believe what Paul believed and what I think Scripture so clearly proclaims, right, that God is good and that he's doing something for eternity, for the weight of glory for eternity that you and I cannot possibly fathom and process because you and I are not in the hearts and the minds of the people involved. And all we see is tragedy. and We don't know what God is doing. We don't know how God is shaping. We don't know how God is perhaps producing things that are far weightier than we could possibly imagine. So I want you guys to grieve, right, when things happen that are difficult. But I want you to grieve without, not grieve without hope, without confidence that God is truly good and sovereign in what he does. Let's continue on with our story. We're almost done. Actually not. <laughs> there's, there's actually a, a, a large chunk of the story. Um, <laughs> I say that, but I'm like, no, nah, it's a long story. Okay. Acts 27, okay. When the 14th night had come, so they're on this, they're on this thing for two weeks, right, to come, and we were be, being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suggest, suspected that they were finally nearing land. So they took a sounding, found 20 fathoms. A little further, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors in the stern and prayed for day to come. <clears throat> and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors in the bow, so what they're doing is they're trying to escape, and they're like, well, we're just putting down the lifeboat, you know? You know? Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Wow. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. This tells you a little bit about the influence that Paul was starting to have on this boat. He's this prisoner, and, it, and he's given commands at this point. Right? People are like, let's listen to him. He knows what's going on. Right? As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food and have taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said all these things, he took bread, and he, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it, and he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed the bay with the beach on which was planned to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors, left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. This is a very technical sailor language that I don't fully understand. Okay. 
Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was the back of the ship was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest of the planks on the pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And so we see that Paul's, you know, the message that was given to Paul was true. After this intense and pretty, pretty crazy situation, they eventually all, in one piece, even though the ship is broken up, make it to land, all 276 of them. So my point here is that God's grace is sufficient for the present difficulties. I think what we see that in this passage is that, yeah, we can talk about God's will being good, even in the larger context, but God does not leave us alone in the sufferings, right? He does not leave us alone in the trials. You know, he's not just like, well, <clears throat> just like me and my daughter, good luck, you know, like you're crying, like whatever, you know what I mean? Well, it's for good, you should know that, you know. <clears throat> you know, the whole time with Emma, we were just basically trying to sing her songs, like be like, we love you, you're good, <clears throat> you know, don't worry. You know, even though we know she's crying for no reason, you know. This is a really important point that I don't want to miss for you guys, right? Is that God's comfort is near to us, even when we are going through things that he knows are for our good, but are still hard, and are still painful, and are still not pleasant, right? Because who wants to get shipwrecked? Who wants to be on a boat for 14 days? I'm sure even for Paul, you know, with the peace and the grace that God was giving him, not pleasant, not something he would want to go through, not something anyone would want to go through. <clears throat> but here's the thing. God gives present grace and sufficient for our present difficulties, right? That will be for our good and for his glory. Um, <clears throat> we're going to get to that passage in a bit. And that's something that we need to think about and we need to, you know, hold on to as we're going through the difficult things in our lives. That God does not leave us alone in our sufferings and trials, right? That he is with us. I was um, having another conversation with my nanny. We have really good conversations, apparently. Um, uh, one of the things she was talking about is this kind of like, um, this sort of like uh, trend these days to sort of like doom proof. Um, she was talking about how her husband is like, the end of the world is coming, not because, not for religious reasons, but just like, because there's just so much chaos going around around us, right? And he's like trying to buy these like jars of food and like these cans of food and like this like year's worth of supplies or whatever, like water and whatnot, you know. Uh, I don't know if some of you guys have been doing that. Yep, you know. Um, but, but they're just like, you know, just prepare just in case, the worst kind of scenario, right? I think there's a tendency for us to do that when these things kind of happen, right? Is that we tend to just sort of, you know, instead of surrendering, we tend to just kind of exert even more control. Be like, well, you know, even if the worst happens, I'll still have you know, my water and my food and whatnot, right? We do those kinds of things. <clears throat> it's not a wrong thing to do, but, you know, but I think there's this tendency to want to exert even more control, right, when these kind of difficulties happen. And I think in some ways that's not what God is telling us, you know, what we need to do, right? When these sufferings and these trials and these difficulties are happening, it's not exert more control and try to solve your problems more, you know, but it's surrender, right? And it's trust and it's rest and it's belief in the present grace that God has, even in the moment. Where do I see that in the passage? I realize I forgot about that part. Um, 
look at a way in which the story unfolds, right? How Paul is given this grace first from God to believe that he is going to make it. And not only that, but he is able to give that grace to the people around him, right? As he encourages them, as he says these like wonderful words to them, right? Today is the 14th day that you have continued to spend without food. Therefore, I urge you to take some food to give you strength. Not a hair will perish from, you know, from the head of any of you. In the middle of all this, he takes communion, right? He breaks bread and he gives thanks to God. What an encouraging presence it must have been for the soldiers, for the sailors on that boat. And what a grace of God that was given to them, even though they did not know God at that point, that God gave them the grace to last through the shipwreck that they were going through, right? And gave them all of their lives. I think that's a reality for us as well, is that there is a promise that God will be with us and God will give us the grace that we need to get through the things that we're going through, even when they're hard, even when they're difficult. For me, in the season of anxiety when I was going through, one of the few things that did help me, actually, that my counselor said in the moment, <clears throat> I remember this conversation with him where we were just talking, and I was telling him about all the things I was scared of and all the things I was trying to future-proof for, you know, and he was telling me about this time that his wife had to go through cancer. And I was listening, and I was like, you know what? I don't think I would be able to go through that. Like, I think I would just, like, keel over. You know, I, I just, like, I don't have the strength to go through things like that. Like, I don't... I don't know how to prepare for that. Like, how do I prepare? How do I get stronger so that, you know, and, and he just looked at me and he said, stop worrying about what God has not given you in the moment, right? He's saying, like, in some sense that you don't have the grace to get through your wife having cancer because your wife doesn't have cancer. So stop doing that, right? You don't have that grace because you're not going through it. But trust that if and if that happens someday, and something will happen to you someday, that God will give you the grace in that moment. Not now, you're not going through it now, but in the moment. And that was a really comforting for me to think about, was that God actually doesn't need us to be worrying about the future and planning, because in some ways that can be an aspect of not surrendering and not trusting. God wants us to use the grace and the strength that he's given us for each day for the sake of each day. As we walk with him on his journey, as he leads us through good things and through difficult things, each day the grace is sufficient for the day. Right? He's present with us. And that's what I need to focus on the day. Stop thinking about all these things. Just walk with God in the moments. Just be with him as he, as he gives me the little bits of grace I need to work through my anxiety in the moment. And I started to slowly take steps out of it. And I started to slowly move towards um, whatever it is that God was doing in my life at the moment. <clears throat> and maybe that's the word that you and I need to hear today, right, for ourselves, is that God is present for us. Yes, God is good in the theological sense. His will is good, but he's also present in the very moments. And I see that, of course, in our Savior, right, Jesus For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Friends, we have verses like these. We have a Savior who not only is authority, right? Like he is authority in heaven and on earth, and he's doing things that sometimes we don't like, right? But are necessary for the good of it, 
people in eternity, and he's also down here with us. He's also a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness because he suffered like we did in all the ways that we did. He was tempted in every way that we did, and he understands, and he gives grace, and he loves us, and he's with us, right? What an amazing truth that is about who Jesus is. God's provision of grace to us in the presence of Christ every day, you know, for us to enjoy. Let's pray.